0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 238 of the DFS DOS podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information strategy and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we have a lot to talk about. You know, things are are happening in the NFL. We finally have Deshaun Watson news. Only been waiting 6 7 months to find this out. We have DraftKings week 1 prices, DFS approaches, a reason to live approaches. Joey, it, it's a great time to be alive to be talking on this podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Puppy 3 dropped. God damn, there's just so much stuff going on. I don't know. Where do you, where do you want to start today? We have a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the big story is Deshaun Watson news finally dropped this morning he is officially getting suspended for six games as it stands right now the NFL has up to three days to appeal the decision made by the judge in the case it's been what a year and a half of this Deshaun Watson saga and it's finally coming to an end now
0: so is it over you know it seems like it's just about over you know the NFLPA doesn't want to continue this appeal process. Deshaun Watson certainly doesn't want to continue this appeal process. Six games is as good as it's going to get for him. The the burden now lies on Roger Goodell and whether or not they can stomach the quote-unquote look of only giving Watson six games. I mean, all day on Twitter, if you've opened up the app, it's just been comparisons to other players and the infractions that they've made versus the suspensions they've made and comparing it to Watson's situation. So, you know, if, if the NFL can stand to just let this sit, I, I think it's over. And, and that's my lean. I think the NFL wants this to be over. I think this will end up being the final verdict, this will be a six-game suspension for Watson, but do you think that Roger Goodell steps in and adds a little more chaos to this before we finally put the story to rest?
1: He could potentially. I think it's obviously hard to gauge where he's at. Nobody knows how he personally feels about the situation and what the punishment should be, whether or not he's viewing like him sitting out as kind of a punishment, even though that was on his own accord. Nobody truly knows. And obviously we'll have to wait and see over these next couple of days, whether or not Goodell wants to pursue a harsher suspension. The rhetoric was that they wanted a year. Watson only ended up getting six games so maybe they go in and try and give him just a couple more games to make the suspension a little bit heavier but he'll still be able to play this year it's just a shit show all around they obviously want this story to die out as soon as possible but will he try and save face a little bit and pursue a heavier suspension that will in turn bring it to the federal court kind of similar to Tom Brady's case and they still ended up upholding Tom Brady suspension back in 2016. So will they go that route is really the main question that we don't know the answer to right now. And who knows if the NFL wants it to go to federal court and then all of the owners will get brung up and what they've done in terms of sexual deviancy. And it, it could just be a total mess. So I I think I would lean on the, on the same side as you.
0: And from a fantasy perspective, right? Deshaun Watson sort of settled in at about Quarterback twenty-two. That's where he's going on underdog as of this morning, August first. I would expect him to rise a decent bit if six games holds, and and luckily this isn't something that's going to drag on all summer. They they only have three days to make this decision, mm-hmm. you know, from Goodell's camp. So th- this won't go beyond this week. If Watson's six games hold, how do you see this impacting the fantasy landscape? You know, where does Watson go? Is he settling in? You know, in that Kirk Cousins range? That's what I've heard people talk about and and then of course all of the ancillary Browns pieces get a boost too with only six games of suboptimal quarterback play before Watson hypothetically steps back in
1: I mean you definitely have to boost up some of the Browns skill position players especially in tournament formats where you know the end of season and the playoff weeks are weighted way higher than the early weeks Uh, obviously in a total points format like drafters there's I think that their values won't rise that much. Uh, They they will, but every week matters the same Mm -hmm. in a total points format. So for that reason, I would have Deshaun Watson and the Browns' skill position players ranked a little bit lower in terms of drafters. But an underdog in where he should settle in, he's going as the quarterback 22 right now. I think he'll probably settle into that quarterback 17, 18 range near Tua and Trevor. I think you can justifiably draft Deshaun Watson above you know, Winston, Matt Ryan, and Daniel Jones for sure. Mm-hmm. And then when you're getting into, you know, the Kirk Cousins fields to a Trevor Lawrence range, that's where it's like, hey, I probably prefer those guys just because they have, a higher chance of playing seventeen games, whereas Watson is going to play a max of ten games this year. So I don't I, I don't know. I think I think you still get some value on him, but he's not as good as he was, you know, two weeks ago when when we were drafting him. So
0: yeah, and I mean Watson's one of your highest owned quarterbacks, right?
1: Yeah, I have twenty eight percent Deshaun Watson on drafters.
0: I mean that that's a great bargain, honestly. I'm sure that your average ADP cost is going to be significantly better than what he settles in at, no matter what. So I mean, this is something we've talked about all along is a spot to buy. Obviously, it could have gone either way, but it it sort of went the way that favors those who, um, you know, understood that billion dollar corporations care more about their bottom line than uh, than morals, (laughs) as as we've said a multitude of times on this podcast. All right. So that's the Deshaun Watson stuff. I'm sure that this story will come up more than once before week one, but week one is our focus right now because God bless DraftKings released the week one prices. It's damn near a national holiday, man. DFS is right around the corner. We've got preseason Hall of Fame game this week, and then it's just a countdown until we are plugging these players into our lineups and firing off thousands of dollars on DraftKings. I I seriously can't. Can't wait.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Uh The first main slate is on 9-11, so we have about 40 days or so until that's going to be a great time and... Uh, I'm I'm very excited and you know we're going to have a nice uh, way 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 too early first look at these week 1 prices so
0: yep all right well the first thing that I that I want to start with is just a a general question do you think that DraftKings has become too predictable over the past couple of years Or are we just stone-cold degenerates? Or maybe a mix of both. Because, you know, you and I were talking about this maybe a month or longer ago. And some of these players, like, I remember specifically were like, you know, Marquise Brown, he's probably going to be between 6K, you know, 6.4K going up against the Chiefs. No Hopkins, he's a smash play, comes in at 6.2. Like, it's gotten to the point that we could... Damn near predict half of these players' prices before mm-hmm. they dropped, and and DraftKings didn't do much to throw us any any curveballs. This is a pretty standard slate, I think, in terms of general pricing.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is your standard week one slate. This is going to be the loosest pricing of the entire year. If you just compare some of the players' prices this year to last year like there's some extreme differences and some of the situations got better or are the same. To answer your question, I think it's just more so that we've been doing this for a while now we know how draftkings likes to price certain players as especially coming off last season like we we know what players are going to be in what range based on kind of what they did or how they performed towards the end of last season so draftkings is very predictable obviously we're experienced we have like 4 plus years of doing this and yeah i mean already have the cash game lineup built <laughs> and it's probably not gonna. It's probably not gonna change that much in a month unless there's some major injuries. Like when you're doing this for a long time, like you can pick out who's going to be chalk without the projections. Like obviously, there's no week one projections up on August first. <laughs> it's like I already know. What players are going to be chalk at what position? It's like you, you don't even need to pay for projections at, at this point. Uh, I mean, obviously they're still good to have, but ownership-wise we already know who, who's going to be high-owned which is crazy.
0: It, it is crazy. I mean, do you want to... I guess let, let's hold off the uh, cash game shell for the end of the show. We can we can give that to the people, let them plug it in themselves at the end. But looking at the slate from a general perspective, the first thing that stood out to me before even getting into the prices was just that the two best games on this slate, especially from a total perspective, are 4PM games. This is going to be a great Three slate. best games three, three best opinion. games yeah no no you're definitely right um especially with uh Justin Jefferson in there but you know from a total perspective we've got the Raiders and Chargers at a 52 total we have the Chiefs Cardinals at a 53 total and then the game you're referencing packers at Vikings with a 49 total none of the games in the 1pm window have anything over 46 and a half so basically we're fading 1pm gonna be at the bottom of all the standings and then shoot up at the end yeah. as we Bank in we Week one, correct? That that seems to be the scripts that we're following.
1: oh Oh, one hundred percent. And yeah, it, it's interesting that we get one of these weeks early, especially on the loosest pricing of the entire year, pretty much. You know, we get one of these game theory slates, right, mm-hmm. where. You know, If you have a couple chalk guys uh, at the 1 p.m. window and they don't perform well, you have a bunch of late swap options to pivot to that could be low-owned because obviously there's going to be a ton of chalk in the 4 p.m. games, but there will be chalk in the 1 p.m. games as well, right? Uh, so you have a, lo- a lot of game theory and a lot of uh, optionality on the slate. And we usually get like one or two of these slates throughout the year, and it just so happens to be that week one is going to be one of the slates where late swap should be in full effect if you are behind or even if you're ahead in tournaments after 1 p.m but the the four game 4 p.m slate is going to have a ton of high scoring players there's going to be a ton of swings and those are definitely the games that everybody's going to be focused on for week one
0: yep and and man i mean so justin jefferson at 7800 can we just start there like why why is he 7800 priced so low, especially in comparison to the running backs? You know, priced below Eckler, CMC, Henry, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Justin Jefferson in this spot against the Packers week one, all of the buzz around what his role is going to be. Dropped 40 on the Packers last year, not worried about Jair Alexander coverage. This seems like a Justin Jefferson in every single lineup type of week.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously DraftKings isn't taking into consideration coach speak into their pricing algorithm, right? Clearly. But obviously, we as we as uh, fantasy players know that they want to use him in the Cooper Cup role, and that's really how I'm looking at it. Is you know you get to play twenty twenty one Cooper Cup for seventy eight hundred, and if you if you said he was seventy eight hundred last year, like he's a one hundred percent stone lock in every single lineup. Yeah. Right. So, I think he's one of the best plays on the board. I think he'll probably be one of the highest owned players in week 1. It's it's just going to be interesting to see uh if people are scared about, you know, the the wide receiver quarterback matchup week 1. Jair didn't play in that game. He was hurt pretty much the entire year last year uh, when Justin Jefferson dropped 40. But people might come off Justin Jefferson for that reason, but I think that's pretty bad. I think he's probably the best wide receiver play on the entire slate.
0: And from an upside perspective because of the way that things have priced, I think that a lot of people are going to be rolling balanced builds, or at least they they should be. Because, yeah. yeah, you know, Jonathan Taylor playing Houston, 9,100, highest priced player on the slate. Like, it's a great spot, but is it a good enough spot to, to pay 9,100 when the mid-range is completely loaded? DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley are four players all priced below 7K. You can realistically find... Tw- 25 plus point upside at every single position on DraftKings without spending over 7,000. In week one. And, and that's a little bit crazy to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, just goes back to week one is always like this, right? The, the prices are always very loose. It's going to be the week where DraftKings has the most customers on its platform, right? Yep. So they want to make it a little bit easier for the new players coming in through all of the promotions and advertising makes it easier for them to build more fun lineups, right? It just decreases the skill gap overall. Right. And obviously, there's some egregiously priced players, in my opinion. You know, Najee Harris, you reference, he's 6,400. He's going to be a 90% snap player and get every touch out of the backfield and he's what 2700 less than JT with more pass catching upside you know you know and and, in Saquon you could say the same thing 6100 should be a complete workhorse and then there's just some uh, pass catching running backs that are a little bit cheaper as well which obviously favors them on a full PPR site so just in terms of optimal lineup construction it doesn't really make much sense to pay up for these top players for week one but that's going to make for some interesting tournament builds because I think you could go a variety of ways because there are some cheap options that look pretty solid right now as well so do you want
0: to just talk about some of the players that are that are most egregiously mispriced because there there are there are many
1: yeah i think at the quarterback position there isn't many so i think we could largely skip over quarterback i I think that some guys are just underpriced but i don't think they're necessarily mispriced like kyler 7200 against kansas city highest total game on the slate lamar jackson 7300 against the jets looks very solid Trey Lance is going to be stone chalk at 6k obviously we'll we'll talk about him more in a month or so but you know you can't really price Trey Lance up for where he's probably going to be you have to price him for what he is in week one and he's a 6k quarterback in my opinion but really it's at the wide receiver position where some of these guys are just totally mispriced and I think that the one that stood out to me the most was Kadarius Toney at 4,100 <laughs> Yeah. I think there's a realistic possibility that Kadarius Toney is the wide receiver one on this offense, especially with some reports about Kenny Galladay not being able to separate and, and whatnot, he's not really meshing well into Giants' camp. I, I think Kadarius Toney being cheaper than Kenny Galladay being cheaper than Darius Slayton, who is probably the wide receiver five when everybody's healthy. And he's 4,100. He's going to be one of the highest owned wide receivers on the slate. He He's just egregiously underpriced for what I think his role is going to be in the offense. I think he should be well above 5K, personally.
0: I mean, what business do they have making a guy who's going with like a top 85 ADP in best ball price lower than Zay Jones, who's a 20th round pick? Kendrick Bourne. Who's free? Terrace Marshall, Brian Edwards, like Traquan Smith. This dude is never going to see a snap again with the current (laughs) wide receiver depth chart in New Orleans. Like, come (laughs) on, bro. Like some of these are just absolutely crazy. Kadarius Tony, definitely one that stands out. Rondale Moore stands out to me as well. You know, he's a guy that we've been pretty heavily fading, I think, but he's going to be a popular option come week one, just based off game environment and being priced at 4k. And it doesn't stop there. You know, Josh Palmer in an immaculate game environment against the Raiders, 38 100. Sky Moore, who's been dominating at Chiefs camp, is priced below 4K for the Chiefs. There's so much value at wide receiver. Yeah.
1: Paris Campbell, 3,300. Oh God. Pretty much locked in as the wide receiver two for the Colts. Uh, he's going to be a popular tournament option for sure. Obviously, none of these guys are cash viable besides maybe Kadarius Tony. But yeah, there are definitely some players that are underpriced for their projected Week One roles. I mean, I mean, they're they're just basing it off of last year, right? Like Rondale Moore and, and Josh Palmer and Paris Campbell are just priced off their 2021 outputs, not. Projecting for what they will probably do in 2022,
0: and I mean it doesn't stop there. You know, we can go up a thousand dollars in salary and still look at some of these guys. And I- I'm just sitting here confused as hell. Like Juju Smith-Schuster, 5200. Bateman, 5300. Michael Pittman is 5500. He's damn near going at the two three turn now in best ball. Darnell Mooney, 5700. There is so much upside in this range of wide receivers. T Higgins is 6100, bro. What are we
1: doing? Yeah. I mean that that's kind of crazy especially with the performance that he had in the Super Bowl, right? He went four for 102. And that, that was like the last game of the season, right? And he's uh, only 6,100. But they kind of disrespected T. Higgins all year last year, especially down the stretch uh, when he was snapping. They really didn't increase his price th- that much. And 6,100, I mean, he was only over 6K five times total last year. So he's just consistently a player that they never price up. And like I said, it's, it's really just based off what they did last year but in terms of building optimal lineups like you're staying in this range 100 for you know your three or four wide receivers in cash games because you can realistically get 10 plus targets out of three of these guys for 6,200 and less this is definitely the range where a lot of people are going to go to and it's loaded quite frankly
0: yeah and and I think that, you know, the same can be said about the the running backs that we discussed, you know, Saquon Barkley at 6,100, reportedly fully healthy, you know, getting utilized a ton in the passing game. Dude's priced below Alexander Madison right now. Like, come on, bro. And, and then Najee, he's 6,400. That is the cheapest price tag he's been on DraftKings since week two of last year that doesn't make very much sense aaron jones price below 7k post Devontae adams that doesn't make too much sense swift 6800 like there's just so much potential in these mid-range players what about travis Etienne, 5600 he strikes me as a guy who could get all the steam in the world and and be right on that chalk fringe in week one
1: yeah i think there's definitely a possibility that travis Etienne becomes one of the highest owned running backs on the week one slate especially for his past Catching upside on a full PPR site. Doug Peterson did make some comments that James Robinson is still like the like the RB one in the offense, and you know maybe there's something there with James Robinson like potentially being the RB one, which is obviously concerning for Travis Etienne, and it would make the floor a little bit shaky. So that's kind of a wait and see for the projections and, and see how the projections like Etienne, but I could definitely see him you know, gaining some steam as the off season continues to go on and he's been one of the highest steam players in best ball. So I, I think we could definitely potentially expect that to uh continue into week one
0: yeah and then you know typically if you've been a listener of this podcast for a while especially during DFS season you know you would know that that our strategy and and our philosophy is to punt off the tight end position and that's certainly viable there there's cheap options here you know we've got Hayden Hurst 3,300 we've got Irv Smith 3,400 Cole Komet 3,700 stands out to me as a guy who's probably the second target in that Bears offense but Travis Kelsey is cheap shit bro he's 66k in a monster game environment we have all the salary in the world to get there if we want no Tyreek kill seems like it could be a spot where we just lock in 10 plus targets for travis kelsey at 6600
1: yeah obviously we're the leaders of the of the never pay up for tight end movement correct and we have been for a while you know some some other uh big fantasy guys they they have played Travis Kelsey quite a bit in DFS over the years whereas you know personally I really haven't and I don't think you have either but in terms of projections and how he's going to project and the optimal lineup being kind of that balance build I think Kelsey is going to be the highest on tight end in week one you know if we just take a look at his 2021 week one price he was 8300 the situation. At Really hasn't changed if anything you know it got a little bit better for travis kelsey when you take a top five wide receiver out of the offense and you replace him with a combo of juju smith schuster and sky Moore and marquez valdez scantling like kelsey's opportunity and projection is just going to be off the charts due to him being 6600 and he's the second and most expensive tight end on the slate so he's he's gonna be the cash game tight end i think and he he's in the shell.
0: He's in the shell?
1: I posted the shell on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, you would already know what the shell is.
0: Maybe you should tell our listeners about the shell.
1: The shell just goes back to what we were saying about week one is a mid-range week. And obviously we'll we'll dive further into this when we actually uh get into DFS season. But the shell as it stands right now is you know Trey Lance, Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley, Darnell Mooney, Rashad Bateman, Michael Pittman, Travis Kelsey, all guys that we've talked about so. So far, and I don't think it's going to change that much come week one.
0: No, I, I really don't either. I mean, I, I have been wanting to play Marquise Brown on DraftKings in week one since like June. So <laughs> I will find a way to do it. I don't know how yet, but I will find a way. I mean, the last time we saw the Chiefs secondary, they were getting obliterated and Marquise Brown has so much opportunity in this spot. I hope to God that everybody tries to play four foot 11 Rondale Moore as a high owned option in week one. And, and we can just scoop up all that Marquise Brown action at low ownership as people figure out how to navigate the mid range.
1: Bro, my, my mind is just my mind is just an in, in ownership like gatherer you know I, I know what players are going to be high owned Rondell Moore isn't going to be high owned in week one you don't think so no he'll be 10 percent or less because Kadarius Tony's going to be more owned than Rondell Moore
0: oh see I don't know about that I do not know about that, I sir, mean, specifically I'm, from... I,
1: I, I, I'm sorry, but you're you're just wrong. Kadarius Tony's going to be more owned than Rondell Moore.
0: I mean, the Cardinals game is nine and a half points higher in terms of a total. You don't think that matters? I mean, how many people are going to be game stacking KC Arizona versus game stacking the Giants-Titans game?
1: I mean, yeah, that's fair. But Kadarius Tony is A, a better player, B, a better player, See? and C, a better player got you and he's a rapper oh shit so on a, on a serious note he he's I think he's going to be more on just because he proved that he can do it with the opportunity and he's had a little bit of buzz in training camp whereas you know the Rondell Moore buzz has basically been Cliff Kingsbury saying he's going to be used in the offense which you know I don't necessarily believe and just the type of player Rondale Moore is like he's already burned everybody people already have negative biases against Rondell Moore and I don't think a majority of people are going to go there. Um, You know, Zach Ertz, Hollywood Brown, James Conner are definitely more intriguing options if you're game stacking that Chiefs-Cardinals game. So.
0: All right. That is fair. I'll give you that. I think that there's room for things to shift. I think, you know, projections plus touts will have a big impact on where the ownership goes. That's the one sort of X factor, I think, in, in terms of projecting ownership this far in advance is that, you know, the major sites, you know, the two or three biggest sites for DFS content will drastically shift ownership based on who they do and don't
1: tout. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And for those reasons obviously everything that we're saying needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Obviously I'm I'm very confident in my ability to project who's going to be high owned even this far out and I like I said I personally don't believe much is going to change, but yeah, I mean Rondell Moore at 4K, I mean that that's an easy fade. Like he he just doesn't have the same upside and ceiling that Kadarius Tony has and Tony showed last year that, you know, he can he can earn targets when he's out there. And healthy, and the offensive environment should be so much better from last year to this year, and the offense should be way more creative. And it, it looks like from training camp, Tony and uh, Brian Dable have a nice re- relationship going too, uh-huh. so that definitely helps.
0: It does, and and I feel bad like I, I fumbled the bag as the uh, podcast producer, not having a Kadarius Tony clip here ready to go. I did. I just found out that he was a rapper, and you know he's actually. Uh not that bad compared to some of the other guys that we've reviewed their music on the show. So maybe come week one when it's full blown Kadarius, Tony hype season, we'll, we'll play a clip of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else, what else should we tackle here as far as DK week one, prices go i mean my biggest thing has been like i said trying to jam hollywood brown and been thinking about that since june i love the justin jefferson aaron jones week one correlation gonna be jamming that in and just some of the other upside plays like jamar chase at 7100 mike williams 6600 gotta get on on situations like that but you know there's there's still a lot of time until kickoff
1: Yeah, I mean we don't have to get too in depth into it right now. Obviously, it's fun to talk about week one prices, and we could sit here for hours and talk about each specific player. But yeah, I mean not much else to say besides like it's going to be a fun slate. There are going to be some very good players that are going to go under own, especially in the range of let's say sixty five. To seventy five hundred at both the wide receiver and running back position, you know you have your Kamara, your Dalvin Cook, your Austin Eckler. Those guys are going to go on their own. They're going to be lesser owned than the players that they are above and below, I should say. And same goes for like Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen, Jamar Chase, et cetera. So it's going to be a fun slate. There's going to be a lot of tournament options that, you know, they're they're just elite players. And week one is one of the best weeks to get, you know, ownership leverage at a good price.
0: Yes. I I could not agree more. About 40 days away. Can't wait. We're almost there, man. And I think that that is going to be it for episode 238 of the DFS DOS podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on in the podcast, join the inner circle. The link to do so is via our free Discord channel. You can find that in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.